Galatians chapter 5. I'm sure your Bible probably falls open to that by now. Maybe those pages are coming out. Mine aren't, but um, that's, that's good. A lot of times that does happen. Because we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit for quite a while. We're going to continue today. Let's look at verse 22 and 23, which is the fruit of the Spirit. Actually, we'll go through verse 25. 22 through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. That's today's subject, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Faithfulness is the fruit of the Spirit. Let me do a quick tour of Galatians to help us look at what is faithfulness. We all know it has something to do with living by faith and has something to do with being loyal and persevering. I think that's clear and I think that's a biblical as well as um, the way we use it. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by what? Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Living by faith in Jesus, faithfulness. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And this is where we start to get into why would faithfulness be so significant to the Galatians as the Apostle Paul writes to them. You foolish Galatians! How's that? What if, what if I stood up and said that? Yeah, never mind. <laughs> but Paul, Paul lays it out in Galatians, doesn't he? You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? They had believed the gospel by faith and were living by faith in Christ, but now they're starting to do it by their own efforts. And he says, it's like you're bewitched. Chapter 5, verses 1, or excuse me, verses 4 through 6. We'll just do 4 through 6. You... Chapter 5, verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by law, what are we justified by in reality? Faith. So he's saying, but you're trying to be justified by law. And you who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. That is a definition, by the way, of faithfulness. By faith... We eagerly await through the Holy Spirit, the faith is a, is a fruit of the Spirit, the righteousness for which we hope. Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 
They were departing from faith as the central point of the message of Jesus Christ. They believed in him, but now they were starting to bring the law in and say we need to keep the law to stay Christian, to be good Christians. Faithfulness is to trust in Christ for salvation, not my works. And then to keep on living by faith, by trusting Christ, by believing the word of God, knowing that it's the best path for us, it's to believe God's truth, live God's truth for the rest of life. It's to put God's truth first, trust and believe in his word, his truth, in the gospel of Jesus, and keep believing faithfully all the way to the end. That's faithfulness. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul knows that he's coming to the end of his life, and he looks at the whole of his life, gives us a great picture of faithfulness. Could you turn with me to 1 Timothy, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 4? 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we will look at this as what I think is a powerful picture of faithfulness. My pages are all sticking together. I can't get there. Just a second. There you go. Okay. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're at verses 6 through 8. Now, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He's coming to the end of his life. He says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. He's not going to catch a bus. He means he's going to be martyred for Christ. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's our focus. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. Verse 8, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to also to all who have longed for his appearing. It's verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now, in the original language, the order is, is different. It says, the good fight I have fought. The race I have finished. Now, it means the same thing whichever way you do it. The, the, the grammar's all the same, but I like the original sense because of how it helps communicate what's being communicated here. For example, we say, the good fight, I fought it. The race, I finished it. The faith, I have kept it. Because it's very important on both ends. For instance, the good fight, I have fought. It's very important to know that we're in the right fight. It's very important to know that I'm prioritizing what matters most, the good fight. Cologne, good fight. The worst thing in life is not failure. The worst thing, far worse, is to succeed in something that doesn't matter. And we are so good as Christians at devoting ourselves to causes that are not of ultimate importance. They may be good, they may be important, but they're not gospel. They're not Jesus. I think it's one of somebody I was listening to once that made this statement. You don't get second things by putting them first. In other words, 
Important but secondary matters only come to fruition when we put first things first. And gospel comes first in our life. Jesus comes first in our life. And then if we have a passion for some other cause, it will come to fruition in the place it is supposed to in our lives and in our surroundings. Jesus is first. The good fight I fought. The word, by the way, fight is agonia. Agona is actually the word. What does that sound like? Agony, it is. It's where we get agony. I've agonized the good agony is actually the way that says. Um, now, now, this is not telling us to be fighters. I mean, it says in, uh, in 2 Timothy 2, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Don't get involved in fights with other people that don't matter. But if it's the good fight, fight it. Don't fight people. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities in the spiritual places, Paul said elsewhere. We are in a fight. We're in a battle. We're in a contest that may be agonizing. To be able to say at the end that we have fought faithfully and that the fight we fought was the good fight is to describe a life that was faithful. Okay? I fought the good fight. The sec- by the way, I have in parentheses after I fought the good fight, it's 1 Timothy 6 where Paul tells us to fight the good fight of faith or tells Timothy through them to tells us. So, The second is the race I have finished. I have finished the race. Now interesting in Galatians 5, 7, Paul writes to them where they were losing faithfulness and departing from faith and turning to their own good works and trusting in their own their own selves, he says, you were running a good race, Galatians. In other words, they started out by fighting the, by running the race of faith. Who cut, in, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Okay, so it's possible to not finish the race. The race is the course. Jesus, of course, is the way, the truth, and the life. The race is to follow him. And he says, you have finished the race, gone the distance. It's not fun to talk about this subject now. Um, think about all the people that you have known in your life that once were running the race and whatever happened to Joe? Whatever happened to her? And you learned that they are no longer in the race. How many of you know people that you used to serve with that are now not serving the Lord at all? It's not just that they've moved. It's not that it's just that they've changed ministries or churches. It's that they're outside of the faith altogether as far as you can see. You say, what happened? We used to sing side by side. We used to do Bible study. We used to teach together. I, had them, I was prayed by them in prayer meeting year after year, and they're gone now, and they no longer even bother with the name of Christ. I remember one time for a message I did on some passage, I sat down and made a list of all the people I've known, some had significant involvement with, who no longer follow Jesus. It was a depressing exercise because there was a lot of them. And you have a lot of them, right? So finishing the race is to be faithful. 
And now the dropout rate is higher than ever before. You keep hearing me talking about deconstruction, de taking apart the faith and walking away from the faith. There's a good deconstruction where people look at their Christianity and they say, I'm believing and holding some stuff that's extra that I don't need. And they come out the other side stronger and with a more pure version of Christianity. But don't let that fool you. Most of the time, it's not a good thing. Most of the time, it, they end up abandoning Christ altogether, abandoning God's people, abandoning their beliefs, and walking away. Finish the course, faithfulness. The third part, the faith I have kept. I have kept the faith. The faith, as you see in your outline, is where, um, this is Jude. Jude says, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt to write, compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. The faith being the body of Christian teaching, the apostles' teaching. We could summarize it as the word of God, the gospel, the core teachings. If you'd flip to back to the 1 Timothy chapter 1, there's two verses that say this very well. Verse 13, chapter 1 of 1 Timothy says, and this is the Apostle Paul writing, saying, What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The spiritual fruit of faithfulness. Keep the pattern of sound teaching that you learned from the apostles that's in the word of God. Have it. Make sure that you do it with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard that deposit. That's faithfulness. You read that a lot in 1st, 2nd Timothy because they're pastoral epistles. A lot of times what we do is we try to accommodate the faith, the teaching of God's word, to society. Society doesn't like, our culture doesn't like the university doesn't like, the newspaper doesn't like what we teach about this subject. So we'll just kind of, over time, change it. Sometimes we try to go the distance, saying, we're oddballs in society. What we need to do is change the message in the name of staying relevant. Relevant. Rick Warren has an answer to that that he gave at a conference once. It was on marriage and trying to maintain the biblical perspective on marriage, which is one of the big areas that the faith is being attacked because of our position on marriage and human sexuality. It's a front to attack the faith. Warren says this, the only way to always be relevant is to be eternal. I'm going to say that again. The only way to always be relevant is to be eternal. There you go. The eternal truth is the only thing that's always going to be relevant. It may not be liked. It may not be agreed with and received, 
but it's the only truly relevant thing because he says every lie eventually crumbles under its own deception. Cultures rise and fall, they come and go, but the word of God and the church of God continues. And then he said, he finished, never give up and never give in. The church cannot be salt and light in a crumbling culture if we cave into the sexual revolution and if we fail to provide a countercultural witness. In the end, we have to be merciful to the fallen, show grace to the struggling, and be patient with the doubting. But when God's word is clear, we must not, we cannot back up, back down, back off, backslide, or just give in. The church must never be captivated by culture, manipulated by critics, motivated by applause, frustrated by, pro- created by problems, debilitated by distractions, or intimidated by evil. We must keep running the race with our eye on the goal, not on those shouting from the sideline. We must be spirit-led, purpose-driven, and mission-focused so that we cannot be bought, we will not be compromised, and we shall not quit until we finish the race. I would imagine people were jumping all over the place when that was said in a conference. Those are powerful words and a powerful challenge to keep the faith. To keep the faith equals faithfulness. Let's talk about how to grow in faithfulness. Let's talk about how to grow in faithfulness. Remember chapter 5, verse 24, we read it. It says, those who are in Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its desires. We said, wait a minute, if we've crucified the flesh when Christ died, we believe in Christ so the flesh is crucified with him, right? Well, then why do we still have a hard time not, you know, living by the spirit? The battle of the flesh. Did you, is this yours from last week, Eric? No, I don't think so. It was from a guest speaker three years ago. But remember we talked about that. Why do we still fight the flesh? The flesh versus the spirit. The fruit of the spirit. Why doesn't it just grow in us without a fight? Because the flesh is crucified, but is crucifixion a quick or a slow death? slow. Is crucifixion a conscious or unconscious death? You die consciously. The flesh is on the cross, but the flesh is still talking to us, and the flesh is madder than ever. Right? Saying, hey, don't be faithful. Give up this crazy Christianity. Your friends all think you're weird. You can't do it. Haven't you learned anything? The flesh talks to us from the cross and says, hey, don't stand on the truth. That offends your neighbor. Give in a little bit. Agree to a different definition of sexuality or a different definition of morality because then then people will accept you better. They'll like you. Right? That's how he does it. That's how the flesh talks to us. Galatians Chapter 3, verse 3 says this. After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? 
they were believing in Christ and living the life, running the race well, as he says, and then they started to listen to the flesh from the cross. The flesh started saying, it's not faith. You got to keep the law. You got to get those uncircumcised people circumcised. Okay? You got to do those things in order to be really good in Christ. A lot of times what we do is we, you know, we give in to works righteousness. We say, well, we, I, I know we believe in Christ and we're supposed to be saved, but I just, that's a little too easy. You have to do good things. We start to cut around the edges of our belief in salvation by grace through faith and undermine the gospel. Last week, uh, Eric talked about a root of bitterness so powerful, and the root of bitterness he speaks to us from the cross that's mad, it's in pain. It says, either give up, compromise, or <laughs> look how faithful you are. Look at all those losers around you who aren't so faithful to Christ. Aren't you glad you're better than them? Yeah, I am, aren't I? And what we need to do is say, flesh, you're on the cross because you're dead to me. I'm dead to you. Shut up. You're a liar. I no longer live according to you. Okay? So we need to put the flesh, keep the flesh crucified. Don't listen to the flesh. Secondly, we live for our eternal reward. Live for your eternal reward. I love how it says in, um, in 2 Timothy here, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on, on that day, not only to me, but to all who love his appearing. And what we find is that our faithfulness is often, the, the length, the extent of our faithfulness for the future is determined by what we are hoping for. If we're hoping just to get have a good life, we're going to be faithful as long as we have a, good life. That's pretty shaky foundation. If we have a hope that's eternal in Christ, we have a much better chance of going to distance because where's the reward? It's in eternity. It's in heaven. And things cannot so go so well on earth. We're saying, I hate it. I wish it were different. But it's not what I'm really living for. It's not the reward I'm living for. So we live for our eternal reward. Love Christ's return. It says here there's a reward if we love the return of Jesus. Faithfulness is connected to the return of Christ. If you recall in the Gospels when there, you told the parable of the talents that the, the owner gave his servants talents, then went on a journey, and he came back and asked them to give account of what they'd done. And the first two had invested and grown their talents into much more, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been a steward, a good manager of what I entrusted you with. Remember that God's the owner. We're stewards of what he's given us, and we need to be good, faithful stewards of the trust he's given us, the stuff, the gifts, the talents, the lives that he's entrusted to us. And the accounting takes place at the return of the master who is Christ. Love Christ appearing. Love the fact he's going to return. 
I want to do all that. I want to I want to give him a great return on his investment to me so that when he comes back he'll be say well done good and faithful servant. And last focus on the faithfulness of God. Join me in in a, uh, Lamentations. Now I'm going to challenge your sword drill here. Find Lamentations. It's after Jeremiah. You were all just reading Jeremiah this morning, right? Jeremiah, Lamentations. Lamentations is written by Jeremiah. It's written by Jeremiah because the people of Judah didn't listen to him when he spoke in his book, Jeremiah. They rejected the message. And so Jerusalem was destroyed and the people scattered, taken captive by Babylon. So Jeremiah is now lamenting the condition of Jerusalem and God's people. It's a horrible scene. And and Lamentations 3 is truly one of the great passages of Scripture, if for no other reason, that if you look at the first, say, 17 verses or so of chapter 3, he does nothing but lament how bad things are. Um, verse just start in the first verse. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath, God's wrath. He, God, has driven me and made made me walk in darkness rather than light. And it goes dark from there. And just he goes on and on about all the horrible stuff that God has done and leaves Jeremiah broken and scattered and just devastated. That's why it's called lamentations, lament. He's saying, oh, this is awful. But then there's a turn. Verse 21. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. He's just been pouring out how bad things are and how God has done all these horrible things. This I call to mind. Did you... Did somebody slip you some medicine along the way, Jeremiah, that you suddenly have hope? What happened? 22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is incredible. Jeremiah is sitting in ruins. Ruins of buildings. Ruins of people, families, and lives. A whole nation. The temple of God has been destroyed. And he has more lamenting to do before he's done if you read the rest of the book. But in the midst, he says, hey, wait a minute. I call something to mind. I call to mind the Lord's great love, which the the music and Mark's devotional for communion did so well today, remind us of God's great love. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah, bringing this to mind, has hope. And the whole thing turns around. Nothing's changed. Nothing's gotten any better. 
Much of it's only going to get worse. Death just decays more and more and more. Destruction without being righted just decays more and more and more. It's not going to get better. You know, anarchy. Going to get worse and worse without correction. So Jeremiah is not looking at positive circumstances becoming out of this. Are you in a dark night of the soul? Are you in a place where you're down? God seems distant and you're disappointed in where you're at? Or maybe, maybe you're not. Maybe, maybe you're okay today. You just need to be reminded because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. But maybe you're in the throes of grief. You're in the throes of disappointment. You're in the throes of pain. Now. You need to call to mind something that God great love and his compassions never fail. They're new every day. God isn't moody. God isn't hormonal. You might be, I might be, but God isn't hormonal. Aren't you glad? God doesn't get up on the wrong side of the bed. I don't feel like being compassionate to these people. They're sinners. They fail. They're lazy slackers. What a bunch of bums. I just don't feel like loving them today. No, that's, that's us to think like that. Not God. Thankfully, he doesn't. He says, no, his compassions for his people never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Every morning, every morning, they're new waves of God's mercy. Every morning, look for them. Look for them. Every day. I failed again today. That's okay because there's new morning. There's, you're still riding a wave of mercy from this morning. And tomorrow morning you wake up, there'll be another wave of mercy. Learn to surf. Great is your faithfulness. You know, one of the things that I stand on is that because we are saved by grace through faith, by the gospel, the good news, it's not just good, it's not good advice, it's good news. It's telling you something happened. Somebody did something. It's who God is and what he has done on our behalf. And success in living for Christ, what we do matters a lot. That's why the fruit of the Spirit transforms us. But the way to plug into the fruit of the Spirit, the way to grow it, is not to focus on what we do, but on to focus who God is and what he has done on our behalf and live according to the, what he's working in us. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we need to focus on the God's faithfulness far more than, I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful. Start by looking at who he is, looking at what he has done. Look at the faithfulness of God. It transformed Jeremiah's thinking when he had no way to fix anything. He never cools off in his commitment to us. 
He never breaks a promise or loses enthusiasm. He stays near us when we reject his counsel and deliberately disobey him just as much as when we are zealous for the truth. He remains involved in our lives whether we're giving him praise or grieving him with our actions. Whether we are running to him or from him, he remains faithful. I'm reading from Chuck Swindoll. His faithfulness is unconditional, unending, and unswerving. Nothing we do can diminish it, and nothing and nothing we stop doing can increase it. Even when you blow it, even when you make a stupid decision, even when your world is shaken by betrayal, God's faithfulness never diminishes. Great is your faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. Here's what we should do. First of all, we should daily say this to him. Great is your faithfulness. Isn't that what Jeremiah does? He's talking about the Lord. Then he suddenly turns. He says, his mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Picture it. So first say it back to him. I don't get it, Lord. I don't like where I'm at. Something's not right, and I'm a little struggling right now, but great, I know that you are great in your faithfulness. Pray it to God. We've talked about this, lament. Talk to God about our struggles. Second, say it to yourself. Yet this I call to mind, he says, and then he recites about God's mercies, then he says, great is your faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. Remember that. Remember that, Jeremiah. You may have heard the quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. It says that our greatest problem comes from listening to ourselves rather than talking to ourselves. When the flesh yells from the cross that God is not faithful, talk back. No, no, no. Great is his faithfulness. right? Talk to yourselves. Listen, we can wake up in any, we don't have to wake up, we can be in any, we're hormonal, remember, unlike God. We can start feeling and thinking all kinds of stuff that is not right. And we don't, sometimes we think, well, I'll just have to go with what I feel, right? You can't change what you feel. Oh, yes, you can. And certainly don't just follow what you feel. That would be ugly, if you had just this many people together and everyone started doing just what they feel, I'm, I'm running. I'm, I'm jumping out the window and running because it'll be ugly and bloody. Right? <laughs> Talk to, to, speak the truth to yourself. Great is his faithfulness. But things don't seem to be great is his faithfulness. I'm looking for his mercies because there's a wave I'm trying to catch. And last, say it to others. Say it to others throughout the day. That's what's on the bottom of your outline. Great is your faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. Say it to him. Say it to yourself. Say it to others daily. Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for your faithfulness. Now we celebrate your faithfulness together. We remember your great love, your daily mercies, and we proclaim your faithfulness. Most of all, we proclaim your faithfulness because we, far more than Jeremiah, he never even imagined the depth of your faithfulness because we live on this side of the cross. And we've seen your faithfulness and we've seen the, the length to which you've gone to take away our sin, to make us right with you, to remake us into your image. Thank you, Lord, for the cross of Jesus Christ. We stand so far beyond where Jeremiah was that in praising the faithfulness that you have shown through your son. Help us to remember as we worship, as we declare this, as we pray and declare it and remind ourselves and remind others that you are faithful, not just because you give us things and do things for us, but because of the one thing you did for us that can never be changed, never be shaken, and never be topped, the cross, the resurrection. Great is your faithfulness. Amen. Worship team, could you come and lead us in that?